Welcome to the Weekly Wrap podcast by the National Farmers Federation. Here's this week's update. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Wrap. I'm Rhiannon Arnold, the Digital Coordinator here at the NFF. Today we'll hear from Rod Sims AO as he discusses promoting fairness in farm supply chains. But first, let's take a look at this week's headlines. Independent Senator David Pocock has secured a raft of concessions from the federal government, including provisions that will directly benefit farmers in exchange for allowing the passage of its controversial industrial relations bill through the Senate this week. The NFF wants the improvements to go further, voicing concerns there's still the potential for industrial disputes that could disrupt the food supply chain. Flood hit regions are concerned about how long they'll be left with obliterated road and rail infrastructure, leaving some of the most productive farming areas cut off. The NFF says it doesn't have confidence the government is aware of the scale of the massive crisis farmers and regional communities are facing. The federal government released its first annual climate change statement, which highlighted how farmers and landholders are leading with climate action. While the report acknowledged Australia was on the right track to reducing emissions by 43%, this was a wake-up call for the nation to do more. Six images and videos encapsulating the spirit of Australian agriculture have taken out the coveted Ag Day AU competition, sharing in a $5,000 prize pool. David Williams from Vasey, New South Wales, took out the top spot with a photo of his Kelpie taking a swim while his dairy cattle watch on. And a new guide helps pave the way for a nationally consistent approach to farm debt mediation. The NFF and other stakeholders worked with the federal government to develop the National Better Practice Guide for Farm Debt Mediation, an outcome from the Banking Royal Commission. Now let's hear from Rod Sims speaking at the NFF Leaders Summit. We're going to head on to our final pillar for the afternoon, for the day now. This is around capital and risk management. And I want to welcome up Rod Sims AO, who's a professor at the Corporate School of Public Policy at the Australian National University right here in Canberra, uh, and a chair of the Competitive Research Policy Network at the Centre for Economic Policy Research Paris. He's also the chair of Opera Australia. From 2011 to March 2022, he was chair of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, Prior to that, he had a range of senior corporate and public sector positions. From 88 to 90, he was the principal economic advisor for Australia's then Prime Minister, Bob Hawke. Please make welcome Rod Sims AI. invitation came in to talk about the role of competition and in increasing productivity and how we get fairness in supply chains. They're two of my favourite topics and uh, the ag sector is one of my favourite sectors so uh, really appreciate being here. I think a really important issue for me is the problem with market power and I think the whole country underestimates the problems that occur. You don't even need to, just the fact that people have got market power can inhibit behaviour, particularly in agriculture. I mean, if you're a vegetable producer, you're thinking about installing precision drip irrigation, you're not sure whether to do it. If there's any uncertainty that the downstream buyer 
is no longer going to buy from you or is going to change the terms. It makes it really hard to make that investment with any certainty. So the supply chain problems, the market power problems, do affect innovation, productivity, and, and the economy generally. And as I say, I think agriculture is right at the, the cutting edge of all that. I'm going to talk about three things today, how we need to improve our merger laws, how we need to have a war against unfair practices, which I think is important to agriculture, perhaps more than any other sector, and I'll talk a bit about market power that governments create in infrastructure. So, just on competition, over 200 years ago, Adam Smith wrote the most famous sentence in economics. He said, it's not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their, their regard to their own self-interest. Now, some of this, of course, is the reference to the invisible hand, um, regard to their own self-interest. Some have taken this to mean that companies will always act in the best interests of consumers. Now, this is naive and frankly silly. Smith clearly recognised that for the invisible hand to work, you need competition. Businesses not facing strong competition will act in their interest, but it won't be the interest of consumers. If you've only got one butcher, one brewer and one baker, you're going to have a very expensive dinner. It'll probably be late and cold. <laughs> so a market economy needs strong competition. That's essentially what Smith was on about, for anybody who's read the book, many of which who quote The Invisible Hand have not. And farmers, I think, understand this issue better than any other sector uh, that I've seen. Now, it's a key role of the ACCC to ensure that mergers and acquisitions do not occur if they damage competition and so harm the economy. Now, the ACCC does have some success in this, but it's almost always lost in court when its view to oppose a merger has been taken on by the merger parties and taken to court. We've almost always lost. Now, some claim that the fact that the ACCC is lost indicates that we get our merger calls wrong. No, that's not the reason. I think the better explanation is the courts are applying the laws as they see them in ways that were not intended. In a speech I gave in August 2021 as chair of the ACCC, I propose two important changes to our merger laws. First, that the ACCC should be the primary decision maker, not the courts. Um, and the ACCC's decisions can only be appealed to the courts on the basis of the papers in front of the ACCC at the time. Second, and this is really important, that there be a new deeming provision which says that where one of the merger parties has got market power, substantial market power, and as a result of the acquisition, that substantial market power would either be entrenched or likely to be entrenched, materially increased or materially extended, then the acquisition would be deemed to be anti-competitive and not proceed. Now, the agriculture sector saw an enormous number of mergers and acquisitions while I was at, uh, there for, for the 11 years. And you'll all remember them. Just to mention a couple, JBS taking over Primo, then Rivoli, uh, various acquisitions in the dairy sector, such as Sabuto taking over Murray Goldwyn, numerous animal product mergers, such as Zotus taking over Durox, Landmark buying out Rural Co, Woolworths acquisition of wholesale distributor PFD, 
and so on and so on. Now, I'm not saying that those mergers would have been stopped if we changed the laws, but what I am saying is that those mergers need, all these type of mergers need much better scrutiny than they're getting now to make sure that they aren't damaging the economy and frankly aren't damaging the agricultural sector. Now under our existing merger laws, we've seen a lot of consolidation um, in energy, telecommunications, rail freight, um, and many others, and often we've seen significant price rises straight after the merger happened. Mergers that we failed to stop in court, the court ruled the merger was okay, the merger happens, prices go up. Uh, if only we could have made convince the court that that was going to happen before it happened, rather than having to point to it afterwards. So look, there is an active debate now about our merger laws. I really would urge the, the NFF to get right behind that. Now is the time for that debate, and the NFF will be a crucial player in that. My second topic relates to fairness. So what can a farmer do if their produce is threatened with rejection, unless the farmer, having already sent the perishable product to the buyer, is faced with a buyer saying, well, not sure I want this anymore, knock 30% off the price, otherwise I'll send it back to you. It being perishable, of course, you're in an impossible position. What if a major retailer threatens to discontinue buying unless pre-agreed terms are changed? What if the only available processor systematically biases against the farmer in terms of animal weight or fat content? Or if payment terms are excessive from the limited available buyers? I could go on, but you know the answer. The Competition and Consumer Act is poorly placed to deal with these issues. It frankly cannot deal with all the examples I've just mentioned. And such actions damage your ability to plan and invest. Those with market power gain, farmers and the economy lose. Now sometimes people think Section 46, the inappropriately known misuse of market power, would help you, but it doesn't because it is all about blocking a competitor, one competitor blocking another competitor. That's all it's about, so it doesn't deal with what its name implies. And then you've got provisions related to unconscionable conduct. But the hurdle for unconscionable conduct is so high, the examples I just mentioned would not qualify. So I think we need to address such behaviour through an unfair practices provision and I should just add, most other countries we compare ourselves with, indeed all, have got this and we don't. We're the outlier. It's there in the EC. They've got quite specific prohibitions about what can and can't be done between those with market power and the farming sector. The US has got such a law and Australia stands out as not having one. In the US, for example, an unfair practice occurs where first the behaviour is likely to cause substantial harm to the affected party. Second, this harm cannot be avoided by the affected party. And third, the harm is not outweighed by countervailing benefits to consumers or competition. Now, consultation is currently occurring between the Commonwealth and state governments now on this provision. So now is the time to get behind it. It's a uh, law change which is being pushed hard by the consumer movement because of the concerns about unfair practices between businesses and consumers. In my view, and I've stated this many times, I think the importance of the law is business to business. It, it's, it's particularly the, the farming sector is very relevant, but a whole range of other sectors are. 
because we've just had unfair contract term laws passed, but that's only where you're dealing with standard form contracts. We've got nothing to deal with when you don't. And I think this damages uh, our economy because it puts the smaller business in a very difficult position in relation to those who've got market power. So another law change I'd urge you to get behind. Now, lastly, just turning to infrastructure. Um, I think privatisation of infrastructure went well in the early, uh, in the late 1980s. That's where we privatised Qantas, the Commonwealth Bank and a whole range of other things. The reason they were privatised, and I was in the cabinet room at the time, was because the government felt these assets would do better in government hands, in private sector hands. They just felt the government couldn't run them properly. And I think they were right. But over the last 20 years, privatisation has largely gone wrong as governments have sought to maximise the sale price by limiting competition to the asset they're selling, and governments can do that, or selling a monopoly without any regulation whatsoever, knowing that the new owner would raise the price to recoup the large price, price paid for the privatised asset. And often the company that wins the bid for the asset is the one that envisages raising prices the most. They're going to take the, the gutsy set. We had Port of Newcastle, 50% increase in prices. The company doing that won the bid, and a whole lot of other bidders said, gosh, we didn't think we'd get away with that, so we didn't bid as much. Now, examples of this abound. They're just everywhere, and I, won't, I could, but won't bore you with those, keeping in mind your drink soon. Um, but the Victorian government sought to, well, did sell the port of Melbourne, and as they were doing it, they tried to increase land rents by 800%, which would, of course, massively impact imports and exporters. They also put a 50-year non-compete clause on the port of Hastings, which is the next competitor port to the port of Melbourne. Now, a bit of an outcry, we did get those things watered down, but you can see what their objective was. It was making money, not making the best use of the infrastructure. The New South Wales government recently sold the two competitor ports of Port Botany, Port Kendler, to the one owner, thus limiting competition straight away, and they inserted provisions in the sale agreement in relation to the Port of Newcastle that prohibited the Port of Newcastle from competing with Port Botany. So they deliberately created a monopoly to maximise sale proceeds. Now, our port, now that's been watered down a bit because of a bit of the outcry. But our ports are essential gateways, and most other countries want their infrastructure to benefit the economy. And of course, the best way to get efficient ports is through port-on-port -port competition, or indeed, the threat of port-on-port -port competition. There's no threat to Port Botany, uh, because the government's guaranteed there won't be. So they can sit there knowing that they've got the monopoly. Now, as I say, that's been changed a bit, but that, that the government intended to give a monopoly so that the buyer would pay an enormous price, which of course they did. But in Australia, we biased for treating our infrastructure as a cash cow, rather than treating it as something that can benefit the economy. Another example is we've had the constant push by grain export owners, uh, the grain port owners, sorry, the, owning the export ports, to avoid any regulation, even though these ports are often privately owned monopolies, where the owners favour their own marketing arms when allocating access to the port. This limits the ability of grain farmers to get the best price for their produce because one grain buyer has a privileged position. Only the farmer and ACCC voices have kept any regulatory role 
in relation to those uh, monopoly uh, grain ports. And I'm just amazed at how strong the voices are of those grain port owners in Canberra. So uh, that's a continuing battle to fight. But just in very briefly in my remaining time, one other battle that's coming up is uh, the Commonwealth is constructing the inland rail at great expense. Currently, due to the fact that the ACCC lost a merger case, you've got one dominant uh, mover of containers on the east coast of Australia. So if you want to send a container, here's the container I want to send it from Melbourne to Brisbane, you can only use Port uh, Pacific National. That is your only choice. There are other ways to do it if you're not using a container, but that's your only choice if you just want to send a container. And that's because we lost a, a crucial merger case, uh, in my view, inexplicably. Now, the uh, reason why Port Pacific National dominates is because it's got, it controls access to the ports, or the, sorry, the intermodal facilities in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. And when other competitors try to get in, they can't because they can't get access to those intermodal facilities. Of course they can't. If you were Pacific National, you wouldn't give your competitor access either. So they're not behaving badly, they're behaving commercially rationally but they're in a particular position that allows them to uh, uh, exercise their dominance. So there's going to be a new intermodal facility at Moorbank. Um, there's talk of new intermodal facilities in Brisbane and Melbourne, all to support inland rail. And my point is, is it is crucial that Pacific National has no role in controlling any of those facilities so that they are truly open access so that we can get competition. Because what's going to happen is inland rail lowers the cost of rail freight by about 30%. Now, one of two things are going to happen. If there's competition to move the containers on inland rail, that 30% will benefit, will be passed through to the users of inland rail. If there's not, and Pacific National keeps its dominance, it's going to get the 30%. It's as simple as that. That's not blaming Pacific National for being anything else other than commercially rational, but the uh, ability to deal with this is in the government's hands and, you know, they don't have a great track record but uh, uh, I'll keep jumping up and down. So, uh, look to conclude, um, uh, I think Australia has over recent years lost its enthusiasm for competition. I think that's affected the dynamism of the economy, innovation in the economy. I think it also affects income inequality of the economy which is another topic. Um, uh, but I think the group most affected by all of this is the farming community. Uh, the NFS always been a powerful ally in these sorts of debates and I would just urge you to keep being so. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Robert. Thank you for listening to this weekly wrap-up from the National Farmers Federation. For more information about the NFF, visit nff.org.au. Otherwise, stay tuned until next week for the next instalment.